This is an ABC podcast. Does your routine when planning any outdoor activity involve checking the weather radar for rain? Sometimes you can see a clear radar and it's raining. And sometimes that radar image shows heaps of activity, but there's not a cloud in the sky. So what's happening? I'm Tegan Taylor and this is Occam's Razor, a soapbox for science. This week, we're hearing from Rebecca Rogers, who's a techno-ecologist. She's big into using radar, but not for weather-watching. So we've all seen images of rain on the radar coming in to ruin our plans for the day, or the ominous swirling pattern produced by a bad cyclone. But what if I told you that all that stuff on the radar might not actually be rain? but birds flying across the sky, and that this information could help us save billions of dollars and even lives. But I'm getting ahead of myself. This story actually begins in the early 1940s with a number of secret reports from the British Army. Prior to World War II, engineers were racing to develop radar systems to better detect enemy aircraft, but they had a problem. Alongside their targets, they kept detecting these strange, unexplained rings on the radar that they playfully called angels. Some of these angels were easy to identify, like the slow-moving cloud-like ones that only showed up when it rained. But then there were the signals that appeared more like small blobs that grew and expanded outwards and then disappeared again almost as quickly as they formed. And this distinct ring-like patterns that emanated from a point over and over again, like a ripple, but always around sunrise. It wasn't until two unexpected wartime researchers, an ornithologist, David Lack, and an entomologist, George Farley, were finally given permission to share their work that we knew what they were. Birds taking off and flying through the radar beam. Confirmed with a fairly macabre experiment, where a dead seagull was suspended from a large balloon and floated past a radar to show that it could be detected. And thus began decades of research studying flying animals on radar, including birds, bats, and even insects. So before I tell you how researchers are using weather radar to get a glimpse of the less explored aerial habitat, it's time for a quick Radar 101, just to make sure we're on the same page. Like the radars that Lack and Varley were studying during the war, weather radars transmit electromagnetic waves at a set wavelength. If these collide with an object in the airspace, some of that energy bounces back to the radar, producing an echo. The radar system then processes this echo to determine how much energy was reflected back and the time it took to come back to determine how far away the object is. This produces two main types of data that we can use to study animals. The main one, which you'll probably be familiar with, is what we call radar reflectivity. Essentially, this is a measure of how much stuff is in the air, or the biomass when we're looking at animals. And it's the same value used to determine the rain rate on your weather radar apps. So if we have low reflectivity values, then we would expect there to be little or no rain. So of course, then high reflectivity is heavy rain. And this usually shows up as red on your radar apps. The other type of data that we can work with is called radial velocity, or on the Bureau of Meteorology here in Australia, it's often referred to as Doppler wind. So radial velocity tells us how fast things are moving towards or away from the radar. So if you were to pull a Doppler wind image up on a really rainy day, 
you'd see this sort of yin and yang pattern, where half of the screen is blue and flowing towards the radar, and the other half is red and flowing away from the radar. So the direction of this movement would reflect the wind direction in that location. And the darker the colours, the faster the rain clouds are moving. So now we know that we can see how much stuff is in the air, the direction it's moving, and how fast it's moving. So you can probably start to get a picture of the kind of data I could work with. So let's swap those rain clouds for a flock of birds now and see what we have. By combining reflectivity, or rain rate, and Doppler wind data, we can now see how many birds are in the air, how high they're flying, how fast they're flying, and in what direction. It's pretty great data, especially when you consider that these radars are often collecting this data every four to 10 minutes over very large areas and keeping records of it for decades in some places. And even better, it's increasingly becoming freely accessible and updated in real time. So at this point, it sounds great. I have huge amounts of free data. It's essentially raining birds and bats out there, a researcher's dream. But you might be wondering, if radar detects almost everything in the airspace, how are our rain radars even remotely correct? And how can I tell that I'm looking at birds and not rain? Well, luckily for the first part, meteorologists have worked out how to filter out a lot of the clutter that's caused by wildlife. So for the most part, the live radar images that you would look at are pretty accurate. So when you look at a radar image, you're probably looking at this filtered data. As a scientist, I need to access the raw, unfiltered data to look for animals. Now, I have a problem, though. This data includes signals of everything, from rain to smoke, strong sea breezes to swarms of locusts, or a tree growing a little bit too high close to the radar. And of course, the birds, bats, or insects that I might be interested in. Luckily for me, I didn't have to string a dead goose up to a balloon to validate my data. Instead, I can decipher these patterns by using what I know about animal behavior, which is exactly why it took an ornithologist and an entomologist to work out what those wartime radar angels really were. So you might remember the ripple pattern that Lack and Varley observed. As it turns out, these patterns are caused by a unique daily behavior by roosting species like swallows and starlings. These animals roost in the thousands in trees during the day. And just around sunrise, they start to stir. At first, one or two birds will take off, and then, then as if on cue, thousands or even hundreds of thousands of these birds will take off in all directions and fly high up into the air. Once they climb high enough, they'll intersect with a local weather radar beam, producing a ring or a donut-like shape on the radar with the hole aligned almost perfectly with the roost tree. We also see these roost rings here in Australia when flying foxes take off in large numbers from roosting trees around sunset. And data from these roosts has been used to detect the population size of a flying fox colony over the last two decades, and even showed when heat waves cause mass die-offs for this population. In the US and Europe, researchers have taken advantage of large interconnected networks of radar data to follow annual migration patterns at continental scales. A clever example of this is BirdCast. It's a live bird migration map for the US that works just like our national radar loop. It displays all the radars across the US and the estimated migration traffic rates in those areas, essentially showing where the major bird highways are and when rush hour is. And researchers can use the data collected over the last 20 years to produce forecasts, or BirdCasts, that predict when large migration events will occur. 
This is great for enthusiastic bird watchers who want to catch a glimpse of these annual events, but it can also inform conservation practices and future urban development. An excellent example of this is using weather radar to combat the arch nemesis of the migrating bird, Alan. Birds are attracted to Alan, but unfortunately, when they get too close, they tend to get hurt. In this case, though, Alan stands for artificial light at night, like the light pollution that you'd see around big cities and towns that makes it hard to see the stars. Migrating birds are known to get disorientated by these lights, making it difficult for them to find their way to breeding grounds, and in many cases, leading to death due to collisions and with buildings and power lines. Researchers are suggesting that the bird casts that they've produced from radar data could be used to coordinate lights out campaigns, similar to Earth Hour, when birds are expected to be migrating overhead, reducing the impact of Allen on annual migration events. Another great use of radar data is infrastructure planning. Consider a new airport is in the works. Internationally, bird strikes are estimated to cost airlines millions or even billions of dollars every year. Although the loss of human life because of bird strike is incredibly unlikely, the loss of income and bird life is relatively high. Given most strikes occur during takeoff and landing, planning airports around known bird highways could significantly reduce the damage, costs, and risks to human life and bird life. So from chasing angels in the secret files of the British Army to fighting the modern-day villains of the migrating goose, radar has a fascinating scientific history. Although this might have just been a quick tour into the world of radar aeroecology, I hope it may have piqued the interest of some of you out there. And next time you check the rain radar to see if your washing is going to be ruined, you might start to wonder, what else might be flying under the radar? That was Dr Rebecca Rogers, who studies animal behaviour and techno-ecology at Charles Darwin University. She was speaking at our Occam's Razor live event at the Darwin Railway Club on Larrakia land in July. I'm Tegan Taylor, your Occam's Razor host, and when I pop up on your radar here next week, I'm no angel, I'll be raining science facts from another Aussie researcher. See you then. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.